Are you ready to go? Fiction. Sabrina Ray. This is Okashina Podcast, Anime with Friends. I'm with Don Munson. You are the friends. I, <laughs> I boast the friends. most roast. <laughs> no, they are the friends. The lovely listeners are the friends. And anyone we invite on the show is the friends. Fair enough. But then, yes. And yeah. also, they're all plates. Everyone's a plate. Everyone's a plate. I, I, I find that challenging, um, the, the plate thing. But yes. So... So we are talking I apologize, about, there's crazy juice in the air today. We are talking about the very last episode of Sarah's Online. We only have one. We normally have two or three when we started out. Yeah, we've whittled it down. We've whittled it down and down. And I think this is sort of where we not only discuss what happens in this episode, but what ultimately we think this whole thing is about and, and what, what our thoughts are and sort of the presentation and a lot of the things that we got now that we sort of can see the whole work in its totality because it was a very strange show. It was built sort of backwards where they were very withholding at the beginning. And as we've gotten to the end, they've started to just give away all of the bigger reveals and secrets. Although they save sort of like some of the bigger uh, developments, shall we say, until the very end, uh, which flips the whole thing to me. Let's get into it. Let's get into the plate. Let's dig into this dish. Yeah, we are. Of, we have made our dinner, and now we have to eat it. Yes, we had a cliffhanger last time. In that Kazuki used the plate united together the 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 plates the the, the desire plates. I forget what they're called. He uses them to uh, save Enta's life, and that sort of puts Toei out because he can he can no longer save his brother. And we see him get enveloped into a world of darkness, and he walks off with the shadow of his brother. I, Basically, I have, a, I have a question there. It's the otter. It, it is the well. We we come to learn that, but um, why couldn't? Yes. Why couldn't they keep slaying zombies and gaining plates? Because the show is ending. Shut up. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, I guess it was the otter was the one who was creating the zombies, I guess. And it's this bit is unclear to me. Is the otter perverting men's desires or human desires, perverting, um, you know, kind of sort of refining them until all that's left of them is the shell of desire and not the actual connection to whatever it might underlying be? Um, or at least that was my meta my meta understanding of what um otter is doing but um yes go ahead wouldn't this continue weren't these don't you need uh kepi and kappas around to defeat these zombies if they keep coming up just like you know uh you need an earth defense force or whatever it might be for countless anime because there's always this existential threat it's a good question and i do feel like in order to answer that question, we have to keep moving forward to see that maybe this is not just a story about what is literally happening on screen, but exists in a kind of psychological or 
metaphysical realm, right? We are talking about an anime. obviously obviously it it exists in a metaphysical or psychological realm in that sense but well but i I mean i guess i just want i i if if the distillation of the shirikadama is into these plates of desire right and why couldn't you just keep making them ad infinitum like some keep making right like right what would what would Kepi's purpose be were he not churning out plates, I guess? Right. And since they already used all the plates, uh, Otter now has no way of fulfilling that. Whether it has its own wish is debatable, but it said it did, right? It said it was going to use it to further its agenda, whatever well, that is, despair. At some point, I think there was Otter had fought the Kappas and right. had. One, it seemed, except they couldn't find this, couldn't find Kepi. Uh, right. Last of the kind. So, But we, we get a little bit more information on that front, and I think it's a little bit contradictory of what we understood. Oh, it definitely is, and I, I have a lot of issues with it when we get to that point. But let's okay. go down the, the, let's progress along with the, the episode. Yes, Toy runs off with um, Chikai's, or the incarnation of Chikai. And start severing his connection to um, our band of brothers here to enter. Yeah, and, and he goes. He uses the gun that he used to shoot the guy in his youth. He uses that same gun, sort of imbued with Otter's like purple magic, to uh, shoot versions of himself in the past. It may be sort of what all of these Kappa zombies did in order to erase themselves from their own timeline as well. Yeah, we don't know how that what yeah. that process entailed. We never got to see it. As if to answer, his friends jump in into this darkness passing through these bubbles, um, whether that's suggestive of like the water that's in a brain or memory, because we keep seeing flashbacks where they make a bad pun about um, Kaiso, which... Uh, can be like a, a memory flashback or also seaweed. So like this, the, the sort of like traveling into the past makes sense with these like bubbles popping up and they seem to be moving through water. And that's sort of like a theme of like the, the Kappa battles that they've had so far have all been in this sort of river, which we then, which we later learn is called the river of desire, which makes sense. Right. I guess. And they they try to stop him, and they realize they're 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 behind. So they come up with a plan to go to the the moment when when they're all connected. Well, when Toei first gave Kazuki the misanga, damn this misanga! I've said the word misanga more than I've ever said any word in my life. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to move on to the next series just so I can stop saying misanga. I well. Yeah, the Misanga is its own interesting beast because prior to this show, I had never said the word Misanga. Um, Every time I say it, I have to do like some kind of weird like bullfighting pose. It does. That's on me. Yeah, it definitely is. It does not seem like it is a very Japanese thing, or I don't know culture. I don't know the I don't know the exact origins of Misanga, but. The word is Portuguese, and it's just a kind of beads. 
It's, it's a friendship bracelet. Right. It, it, it stands in for a friendship bracelet, basically. And it connects the three boys. And um, they're going all the way back to the time that Kazuki had initially forgotten when he was friends with Toei. And Toei left because he needed to go with his brother. And he was kind of also punishing himself the way Kazuki was punishing himself in the earlier part of the series. Uh, he was punishing himself by saying he was going to give up soccer, something that meant the world to him at that time. You know, kind of an innocence lost. That's how I've interpreted it since the beginning. But I think it's it's clear here that that's sort of the intent. Uh, they're almost too late. And Toei trains his gun on himself and he shoots. But uh, Kazuki and Enta intervene. And the Misanga gets shot off of Kazuki. Um, leaving him hobbled, but he's able to retie it in kind of a nice moment. Yeah, there's something interesting about this. Like the imagery is is very stark because a lot of the backgrounds are very black and white, very um, drained of their color, except the color red. And the color red, the blood red, becomes kind of an image tied to the gun, tied to like uh, tied to the otter. So. Um, it's very visually like um, striking, don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a bit washed out otherwise, and like we we get this interspersion of then diagrams of like the um, you know the the not belonging, not connecting um, when they were on their way down to this spot where you know there are no connections. I would be remiss if I didn't note that it's. The, the the diagram itself often sort of looks like a portal, but it also has a kind of anal quality to it. Sort of the like the way that it closes and opens, and this like the the sort of size of it compared to the outer rim of it. I confess I had not um, made that connection, and I find, and I don't know that I fully understand the the anal references in the sense that. Um, you know, there's a titillating factor to the the Shirakadama, but um, but I don't understand if it has greater significance. Like, right. uh, clearly, it's seeded throughout. You know, we we talked about silly things like it's the it's the last piece that puts in Kepi when he was frozen and then had to be thawed out, and uh, and then in fact in this scene when they're when the boys are when Enta and Kazuki are trying to to catch up to Toy, um, Otter comes around and Kepi essentially says he's going to save them and push them along. And he yells shit and like spews a huge right. stream of right. gas out of his ass. Hover um, or something? I don't think that there's like any kind of metaphorical connection to him spewing gas out of his anus and making bubbles for them to be, to breathe in. But I do think that there's something to the idea that, 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 that the anus is, is an, is a, is a portal into our bodies that has the ability to open and close and release and hold. So like when you think about the way that things leak out of them, the truth leaks out of them, especially um, the anus is sort of the barrier 
that keeps us from just spilling all of our secrets into the world. <laughs> I don't think these lines have ever been uttered by another human being in this green earth. <laughs> I mean, we're definitely in uncharted territory. I'll, I'll say that. I, I just like, we also, you know, in reality use it as a, as our venue for elimination and usually elimination of waste um, not necessarily, I mean, and I suppose you could see that here is, you know, but I, it just, it's hard to reconcile the Shirokodama. Like, why are we hanging on to, or is that the idea? Like, you could even, and I'm really going far afield here, you could view it as an impacted bowel. And the Shirokodama is really just a representation of people who are unwilling to, like, let nature flow. And so when they're attacking these Kappa zombies, it's really these people who've like perverted the flow of nature. They have an impacted colon full of shit. And, you know, the, the removal of the Shirokodama is actually a release from this non-state of nature. Interesting. I, I think my, <laughs> my English teacher would at least give me a B on that one for interpretation. B minus. Let's be we honest. Back to, to high school. You could polish it. I mean, you can polish that argument. Is that what you're going for there? That's what we're doing. We're polishing. Oh turrets. my goodness. We really are. Um, no, this, you know, let's, <laughs> this is the silliest episode. It's so funny that it took us this long to like really dive into the anus, but I, I have more to say about it. I'm going to hold off. Uh, they fall through and they basically all end up sort of falling past um, those strange silver rings the memories of people now gone the world has lost like all of its detail and color it's just sort of a white and uh they're passing by those rings that we saw when mabu and reo were uh were killed and they turned into these like silver rings with oh, their yeah. names on them there's a lot of those except they all say um but <laughs> so uh, what that ultimately means i'm not entirely certain but that one definitely got me wasn't one of them not but was one of them not but because that would one be one of them was not but and it like it shot up um out of the group that all said but uh, maybe i misinter misremember no no i i don't i did not pay as much attention to each individual ring thinking about the but word I, but but it's possible I, I, I think that's so the case, much. and but the, but what, but? <laughs> what there might be, whatever the meaning is ascribed to that is very is beyond my current knowledge. Yeah. So this leads to a very interesting scene where we get them kind of talking through their their um, their doubts and their pain and the journey they've been on. And we also get sort of like these moans of the memories that are slipping away and like this, like this attempt to like, to, to scream out these things that are no longer going to be theirs. And a lot of them end their statements and they go through a bunch of stuff that they say, but they end their statement saying, I wanted to be somewhere that is not here. And they all sort of come to the same conclusion that they were waiting for each other or for someone to to push them or prod them or like just get them to where they could overcome their issues together. 
And it's really nice for a couple seconds, like while it lasts, but... Who should make an appearance, but Dark Kepi. Right. I mean, Dark Kepi, who... What? Dark Kepi is definitely, in my mind, a bit of a deus ex machina. Uh, I didn't see Dark Kepi coming. I don't understand Dark Kepi. The one thing I will give Dark Kepi is I like the way that he stutters out darkness. Darkness. <laughs> darkness. That was, that was, yeah, I, I, I kind of liked, like that aspect of Dark Kepi. I mean, he's very easy to understand. He's not, uh, he's not really like, um, subtle. Subtle. Yeah. <laughs> he's not embellishing his words. No, he's not talking at all. And I find that, like, if you're going to split into a yin and a yang, presumably it's not just one half that retains the ability to communicate. Um, and then it's very weird, again, like, the, we transition at this point into the last and final. Uh, Kappa battle. Yes, and what's important here that you might be like skipping over just a touch over, is yeah. that Toei is the one who turns it around. He's the one who says, I don't want to lose them and we get to see him cry for his friends. And he also, I mean, this is the point, he shoots Chikai. Right. Who turns out to be Otter. And I... This, you're right, I, I should not have skipped over this so quickly because it is very important. This to me is a scene that like he chooses at this point to make the opposite choice that he made before at that bridge. Because at the bridge, he had decided he was giving up these things for Chikai, for the family. Yep. Um, Thank you. And exactly. here he's making the opposite choice. He is choosing his friends. He is choosing his connections over staying with Chikai in this sort of, in the same way that he was essentially choosing to go with Chikai before, which is leave everybody behind, jump on the ferry, go to parts unknown, places unknown, and sort of restart your life. And in the same way, he was doing that here, but then he decided, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to retain my connections. And he shot the the ghost of Chikai, who turned out to be Otter, who slunk away into the darkness. Yes, he's willing to give up his precious brother, um, who we have discussed is not really a nice guy, and it's a huge step for him to admit that he that he's that he's been led astray, so to speak, and given up something very important in order to follow someone who really wasn't worth it in the end, and then. We, as you were saying, we get to the Sarazamai. The boys become Sarazamai one last time. They become Kappa. They sing the song together in unison. It seems like a, it's, it was weird when I was watching it because it's the exact same sequence as it has always been. The only thing that changes is the words and, you know, a bit of the animation, but the, the, the theme song, the verses. And it felt almost out of place, really. Because we, I guess we're fighting Dark Kepi. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, Dark Kepi has contained the, the has contained the toy from four years ago, uh, preventing them from co- reconnecting all of the pieces, right? And uh, you know, I don't want to talk <laughs> yes. about the plot. Like this was 
this is the moment where it was kind of like all it takes is one thread. Like all they need to do is just find that one thing that connects them and this depression, this darkness, whatever you want to call it, this despair will will just melt away, right? Cuz dissipate. Yeah. One person to remind them, one thing, one memory to remind you where you belong. And like I I've dealt with depression. Like sometimes that one life thread is is just all you can like hope to hang on to. And if you can get it, well, I, in a lot of cases that can be life-saving. I applaud you for um, relating so closely to the material and, and digging it up. I mean, I, I just, I found the, the, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a different sequence in the sense that the leakage was much more about connecting them. And it also, the leakage was no longer like hiding of secrets, but it was instead this much broader um, inclusionary scene, this, this hypothetical future and this, this, this vision of what could be. And it didn't, I mean, it was interesting because it was a little odd to me because it didn't really fit in the sense of, how I understood the mechanics of everything to work here. And of course it's all a mystery and I don't need to, I don't, I don't know, but I, I'm always curious about like when we transcend those boundaries, like this, this leaking that's going on in this particular context is sort of a leaking through time and space of possible memories that they can all share or would have shared in the past. It's Um, presented in that way for certain. For certain, because yeah. Sarah, I mean, one of them basically comes out and says it, uh, that this is, oh, yeah. this is one of one possibility of, uh, of their future. Seems like a pretty cool event of their future. Like having this massive soccer victory on the field with all these people watching and screaming. Yeah. And they, they show, they show the, they show, they sort of intercut this one great run they had together where all three of them were working like we're 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 playing. Oh, I thought that was that was the future. Well, they show they show all three of them playing at their best, but they also intercut it with with bits and pieces the, of the fractures that happen between them. Ah, so, like, yes, they're they're headed towards the big score, right? The big goal. I'm really bad with sports. <laughs> they're headed towards the big goal. The big score, yeah. <laughs> Let me see, Bonnie. We're gonna get the big score tonight. Yeah. <laughs> They're headed towards their big goal, the the one that's gonna like you know the game changer, game changer, the one that's gonna cement cements legends, and uh, and it's intercut with like scenes of Kazuki never being able to play again, (laughs) turning his back on his friends before they can turn their back on him, Uh, Toy getting fed up with them, uh, wanting to run away. I think he's actually the one who turns his back on them before they can betray him. And to just getting frustrated or whatever, um, just the whole dissolution of discount them. Enter. The whole dissolution of them happens in this possible future, and yes. we are told that it's not necessarily a bright future, but that hope and despair are part of life. And you know, it's a little on the nose. <laughs> yes. And if this is where the show ended, I would say you know, it's. It's a it's basically a happy ending because uh 
to me, the, the, the alternate title of the show at this point is Nothing Ventured, Nothing Gained. Or, and I was going to say this for the end, but to quote Lord Alfred Tennyson, the poet, uh, in his poem In Memoriam A.H., A-H-H, I hold it true, whatever befall, I feel it when I sorrow most. Tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. And it, to me, that's like, that's what this ending of the show that's being presented to us right now, this like one where the Kappa has merged with his despair that's what we kind of can skipped we, over. Yeah, can we, um, yeah, I don't want to skip over that. No, because but I be have honest. to continue this before. All right, please, please complete your, your bounteous thought. The otter reveals himself, which is pretty funny to me to just be a concept. <laughs> he just says right out, he's like, I'm really more of a concept. <laughs> yeah, and, otter's um, defeat here is somewhat underwhelming given that um (laughs) what otter is where otter came from and what motivates otter was never revealed well we find out that otter is supposed to be the darkness that we all carry the despair but we also find out that the kappa prince wasn't assaulted and like torn asunder he removed his despair in order to spare himself from feeling. Are you suggesting that Dark Kepi is Otter? Because I don't, I saw them as two distinct entities. Right. If we accept the story at face value, uh, it's possible that he just separated when like his kingdom was destroyed and he was racked with grief, (laughs) but we never get that scene. So you can't just make that assumption 100%. Um, it could be that he just made up a lot of the story that we saw. Yeah, those two are always intertwined. And that much, that universal yin and yang, is, is I understand that as being Kepi's particular challenge. And the fact that Kepi separated himself into Dark Kepi and Kepi to prevent prevent Kepi from experiencing those those the lows that counterbalance and are natural sort of counterparts to the highs is, you know, we need, Kepi needs to have those experiences to be a complete being just as we all do. <laughs> I don't think Kepi's lying to be clear. Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to ascribe, that's a weird motive for the, the, <laughs> the director, writer of the story to have. It's like, Oh, I will have Kepi lie to you about uh, what happened in the past? No, I don't think Kepi is lying either, but I also don't think that that is where Otter came from. Okay, so I think that I need to throw it to you. What is Otter? Where did it come from? What is the concept that's being referred to here? The concept of what? So I I always saw Otter as the interplay and challenge related to love versus desire because that's that's juxtaposed in many different many different scenes throughout the show and the fact that you know desire is wanting something and love can be refracted into desire but ultimately true 
love has no puts no demands on the object that which is loved and so if you looked at a spectrum or one end is pure desire where you crave to possess or or devour or envelop the object that is being desired and have no right which we see i mean mm-hmm, which we see through the various zombies right, and, and which has no you know you don't you, you do not love it for itself you simply desire it um and the other spectrum is where you love it unequivocally and you know you its mere presence brings you joy and harmony and peace um whether it is close to you or a thousand miles away um you wish only for it to preserve and to thrive and flourish um so otter is one aspect is the desire aspect and if that is what otter is and therefore otter feeds off of individuals who are focused purely on the desirous elements and not the love elements then otter is constantly trying to sabotage and bring out the worst in people so that they are nothing but balls of desire as opposed to you know balls of love and understanding and kindness and happiness um but that doesn't mean that Kepi is the flip side of the coin. It hasn't. Kepi has seemed sort of a dispassionate arbiter here and just deployed his Kappa army to defeating these zombies, but without the intent of fostering additional love or otherwise. Like there is, if if Kepi is, or sorry, if uh, Otter is the is one side of the coin, I haven't seen the counterbalance of the other side of the coin. Like we've got like the, and maybe this is true in a way, like it's not like good versus evil. It's just, there is the relative harmony of things where desire is one of a range of normal human emotions and the pure manifestation of desire, which overcomes, you know, everything and encompasses everything. So there really isn't a, a counterpoint to Otter. There's, there is no, like Kepi is perfectly normal and perfectly normal is the counterbalancing to desire i would agree in the sense that the character of kepi doesn't seem to be the opposite of the otter in a lot of ways but what he does to the boys the the kappa form the sort of like um carefree existence between worlds untethered from their actual lives but forced to confront in order to in order to process the emotions that they couldn't when they were living in their mortal shells, um, being forced to confront those in order to regain their humanity. I think that there is something to be said that that itself is the opposite of the sort of like desire and that they are excising the desire that they are, they are exercising the desire from themselves and well, finding the love ultimately. The desire. Well, no, yeah. but they ultimately do find the love. And well, I mean, we have to argue about Toy still, but we definitely do. Enta definitely comes to some conclusions that he's not going to be a victim of just this desire to possess Kazuki. Well, so he that's has so to interesting, let go, though, because he does uh, let go. I I don't disagree. I am in your camp, and you know when when. Otter tries to manipulate Enta into giving in to his desire. He definitively does not. Exactly. This is in prior episode. 
but most people like most people live in between these two poles and they do have desires that are and there's no indication here that desires aren't natural or anything um but we have desires we we want to possess um we want to you know we have selfishness in those desires and i think that that is natural but the way that this show portrays it and, and you know we go all the way through to the end is you know absolute again i refer back to the lord of the rings to frodo and um samwise gamgee and uh and the fact that their brotherly love was you know pure and untainted by anything like that's that's just not how most even many friendships exist you know there is a jealousy and a desire to to be number one to be and that that exists and there's nothing wrong with it and especially when you're dealing with enta who's who's wrestling with sexual emotions like that is usually the counterbalancing factor and i i wonder how much of this is japanese like the show ends on an entirely mm-hmm. like, androgynous note there's no there's no there's no sex in your love there's that doesn't appear anywhere is that a bush lyric <laughs> uh, you're you're thinking of no sex in your violence oh yeah i think so <laughs> but i mean that that is where i'm going to there like this that sort of love i've you know from my perspective seems sort of alien in which like while i can manifest that love for other parties i i wouldn't expect that to necessarily be totally normal right. and i i can't live the aesthetics life of of self abnegation Ooh, I butchered the word, but basically I'm not going to deny myself those things that I desire when those desires are healthy and normal and, uh, and reasonable, especially if you can find somebody else who has similar desires and maps them onto you. And then those two parties are, you know, in love and they get married and that, that works out quite well. Um, but I don't, that's not what's happening here. We have a triad and they, and they are, you know, teenage boys which is usually the height of sort of ravenous and ur desire like just you know completely mindless desire whether it's for the opposite sex or for the same sex or just you know we we can make all sorts of crude jokes have teenagers at this age are like masturbating every 15 minutes or whatever (laughs) you might have like that's definitely not the sort of vision you get for these three friends at the end of the show and i'm not saying i want to drag anybody through the gutter but it's usually a happy medium somewhere in between like i love all my friends um and i just have this overwhelming desire to like explore my body or whatever might have be well i'm not sure where we're going with that one but i i just i feel like there's there is a lack of sex in this show for it being and i i wouldn't expect there to be sex let me be clear but like the way the show seems to portray things is you've got Otter who is indicating that love and sexual desire is, um, you know, part of sort of the negative side or it leads, it can lead to destruction. And I'm not, I don't know where the boundary is, like where normal desire crosses into Otter fueled desire that results in a loss of that thing that you most desire. That's, you know, that that is the tragedy uh displayed by Rhea Mabu, where 
you know, because there was unrequited emotion, because they were unable to connect in a meaningful way, their desires tore them apart. Um, it, you know what? I don't, I don't know. And I, I feel like I'm a little bit out of my depth on that one, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just what do you think? Like I, if this is a story about boys who are coming together, like they're overcoming these very challenging circumstances, at least two of them, mm. you know, Toy and, and um, Kazuki have these, these less than uh, less than calm and copacetic um, backgrounds and stories. And they're trying desperately to connect across this boundary. The connections here are purely um, they're anodyne. And I'm not trying to discount them. They're great connections, but they have no, there's no sexual energy. And the only reason I bring that up is because that was apparently Enta was the one who was wrestling with his feelings for Kazuki. And apparently the, the, the way that those were resolved is I just love this person as a being or as a friend and it's not a sexual desire, but they're 14. Like, I mean, they're allowed to have sexual desires at 14. You're right. And it's usually that age at which these things start manifesting themselves. And it's also that age at which, you know, they get suppressed and they get. That means that what we're seeing is not necessarily some, some malevolent force confronting them with this dawn what we're seeing is themselves confronting themselves with these things or society doing it it's not okay it's not just like it's not kappa is or otter is not just like (laughs) when he says he's a he's a concept he's not a physical thing in their world he's not affecting them in any real way he is the self-doubt that every teenager is dealing with He's the he's the blame and the guilt. Ultimately, this is a series about guilt, and this is a series about blame, and how by connecting with others, these characters overcome it or kind of don't. <laughs> okay, very fair, and I think you I think you raise the right um, lens on this. But the desire and love are the two themes that they talk about. Yes, and so that's why I'm a little I. I think that your view of it is correct, um, but I don't understand how it's supposed to fit into the sex and love narrative that they've otherwise um, foisted upon it. And I also feel like in this, if they're reconciling with their understanding of their shame and their their feelings that they're dealing with, there's usually, you know, you've got a, a thesis and an, an antithesis, antithesis and synthesis where you don't end up too far on one side of the Avenue, like it's not like one idea completely dominates the other. It's like the two come together and you move forward along some sort of middle path. That isn't what's happening here. Um, they, you know, they and I, I again, I'm not saying that um, that this isn't the right situation for all these three. But the implication with all this sex and love, or sorry, with all the desire and love counterpoints, is that they will find and mature into beings that are reconciled to their feelings of their their desirous urges right but we are given a future where that doesn't happen we're shown the possibility that maybe they won't and that they will succumb eventually to 
the feelings of desire and they'll they'll decide that instead of like being a victim of their desire they're just done with that shit and they're going to move on and and cutting your connection is just as important as keeping it in some way the moving on in that particular context seems to be the severing of the connection um, right. and that to me is a bit foreign to my understanding of that maturation process, that development, the synthesis idea, like as an adult, we know in principle that, you know, that you do need to find a balance between one's sexual desires and, and one's just feelings of pure love. Um, and that process comes over many years um, as you basically learn to understand yourself and understand others um, and some of us aren't able to do it all that well. Right. Um, but here, you know, it's, it feel like, we, I mean, we're right in the last episode. We've been, this is, this is it. And the, and the synthesis is much on a smaller plane. Like we have, we have overcome these feelings of guilt and fear and shame um, to, to allow our friendship to fully develop. That's, that's the angle that we're really coming at. And I'm getting too caught up on the, the sexual aspect of it. And I'm probably that way. <laughs> I'm sure the audience of, is like, yes, he's a little bit caught up on this whole sexual aspect, considering that we well, just discussed in the previous episode how they're 14 years old. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. Like, I know, this, I know. Like, if it wasn't for Entis, and then also we're dealing with the butt, and that's that whole... The way you said like, that element. was so dirty. <laughs> well... But that is kind of part of the implication of it, right? Yes, it like, is. Like, how can it not be? Well, yeah. And there, and, I mean, so I just don't know where our, where the, the creator was coming down on all this, right? Where, what did, what did they want us to take away from this sort of interaction? Right, like I. Well, is, uh, I want to ask you: what How do could, you feel? How do you feel about Haruka's sort of like, <laughs> God bless us, everyone moment? Yes, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you brought up Haruka because this was what um, Kazuki wanted the plates for to begin with, right? This is why um, the this is the connection that originally we see Kazuki striving for kazuki dresses up like um sara sara mm -hmm. for the purpose of making a connection to haruka um kazuki like that's the connection that keeps him initially sort of in the cycle of everything yes or you know that's where he's he's focused on everything and now here at the end haruka like doesn't even make an appearance in this episode so I was very confused by that. Like that particular tension to me hasn't been resolved. And I thought it was kind of a big, big gap. I don't know. I, when I, I the question I asked was how you felt about his sort of God bless us everyone moment where he's like, mm -hmm. because people I care about get happy and sad. That's how we're connected. And yeah, I, I, I understand. I, but I, 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 it reminded me that I just, I really wanted to bring up this this unresolved plot point. It, it is true. It is not really resolved, but I'm not sure that it's, it's, I'm not sure that any of this is, is their story. Like it's their story, but who's telling the story? 
there! I'm Marn, and I've got a new podcast right here on the Orange Groves Network. Every other Thursday on Dead Letter Society, I'm going to invite a friend into my library of terror to discuss a piece of horror fiction. We'll tackle topics like, why does Stephen King like evil clowns so much? Why is Ikea so inherently scary? And why don't young adult publishers like the horror genre? You can even read along with us week to week and weigh in with your own opinions on the Orange Groves Discord. So check out Dead Letter Society, a horror book club podcast, on the Orange Groves Network website or your podcast provider of choice. Hey Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe. I watch for a podcast that we do. What? You know, we are watching One Piece. I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I, I have I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month at best. Did, did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real-life politics and events. I, I must have forgotten what... Where can I listen to remind myself? You can listen at the Orange Groves Podcast Network or search for We Are Watching One Piece in your favorite podcast app. What's a podcast? So now we gotta get into this other ending, because... The last bit of the show, which goes over the credits and into the sort of like coda at the very end, uh, kind of throws a different light on everything. Toei goes to prison, or at least to a correctional facility of some kind, maybe for juveniles. And uh, he has his head shaved. Um, We see him facing his past, owning his crime, or at least paying for his crime. And then we see a lot of details that seem to stick out to me. I don't know if you noticed any of this, but I'm going to go over a couple of them now. Um, as part of his rehabilitation, he makes sachets or sachets or whatever they're called. <laughs> I... <laughs> oh. uh, the smell pouches. <laughs> mm-hmm. He makes scented pouches. His milk in the cafeteria is called Kappa milk, but it's spelled only with one P. When he gets out... Um, and that's three years later. He's wearing clothes we've never seen him wear before. And you might not know this, but those are very, very much um, coded clothing. To me, they read as, and I, I checked with other Japanese people who I know, and I sent them a photo. And to me, it reads as fishmonger or like person who works at the docks. And we see signs and they're, they're real now. The sign of Sarah is no longer the Kappa Sarah. It's like the actual sign from that area of um, Asakusa, right? Mm -hmm. And we see Kapabashi, which is not spelled with the Japanese character for water demon, but is spelled as the actual Kapabashi. And to me, uh, the fact that these take place in the real world now and that... Before there was sort of a like a layer of fantasy on top means Mm -hmm. that we're seeing what's actually real now and that maybe the series that we've been watching has been sort of like inside Toei's head as he waits out his prison sentence and deals with his life and the choices he made. 
Um, and I'm not saying that things didn't happen the way they did or that there aren't magical Kappas, but I am saying that there aren't. <laughs> um, uh, okay. Uh, it, it, to me, that is plausible. Yeah, um, I can't I, I can't 100% say it's true because there's enough in the series that took focus away from Toei that it, it would kind of baffle me that he would spend so long obsessing over the smaller details of his friends' lives, but he also had nothing to do. Yeah, so that's true. Creating a rich imaginary world seems entirely plausible. Um, um, I haven't even reached the conclusion that I'm going to reach yet, but if you want to interject something, well, I just do. I just have to say, you know, this Kaiser Soze view of uh, of <laughs> Sarazan Mai, which is that it's all made up in in one person's head, uh, is it's plausible, but does it does mm. it um, does it reveal any additional secrets or insight into our characters as a as a result? I I don't know. I, I let I want you to continue because clearly you have more to more to say. I will add a little bit more, but I would I will say that I think that that's a discussion you and I need to have right now on the show because um, I'm still formulating ideas because when I first watched it, I didn't I didn't see as many idiosyncrasies or things that were out of place, but. Um, when you see the TV, like we don't see Sarah on the screen anymore because she's now part of the Kappa Prince's like um, royal family again. Uh, so she has left her human form supposedly at this point. Um, but we do see a new mascot has taken the place and it's a frog girl. And the people in this scene, in this part, have become those paper dolls again. And interestingly enough, if you go back to the scenes of soccer that they had in the future version where he was dreaming of the world where they were or where they were dreaming. Right, this is the this is the best possible connection future. Yeah. When yeah. you look back at that, the people in the stands were also like and that makes sense, the people in the stands were all sort of anonymous paper dolls. And apparently that's something that comes up in other Ikuhara anime. And I haven't really said this yet in the series that we've been covering, but in the shows here, but I have never seen an Ikuhara anime. This is my very first one. I am an Ikuhara virgin. So as, as was I, I'm extremely interested to see what else he had to say. Um, especially um, what many people consider his magnum opus, which was a uh, revolutionary girl, Utena. Uh, I never watched it, so I'll probably go back and watch it, but I don't have any insight into how that fits in with his overall over. Um, we will possibly talk to someone who does, but he says in voiceover, everyone is connected, but my life is over. What's lost is never coming back. And it goes into a very dark place. And then Toei is dressed in his old work, his work clothes, I think. And I noticed his pants are very frayed. Um, and and then he he screams and what's wrong with that although he i don't know if he actually screams it but he leaps off the bridge that just happens to be where they used to play soccer well the bridge is right there it's also the place where he threw the masanga and the soccer ball exactly he leaps from the bridge and to me that was like oh this is where he had his last good memory of his friends, where his last innocent memory resides before he sort of threw his life away. Mm-hmm. And 
it doesn't feel like a suicide, but I but it is an out, ending. It's like a, it's a it's kind of a closing of a chapter. Yeah, and I will point out that we passed by an a sign or ah, I mean the Japanese ah that's been like mm-hmm. a, a thing everywhere throughout the entire series, and it starts when um, when one of them falls. So. Like there's definitely symbolism of sort of a passing and the fact that he goes into the water and that we've sort of seen the water as sort of a, a passage between the the world of the living and the world of the dead could be a transference to the underworld. And we also, when he's underwater, we get this sort of elegiac version of the theme song where like the boys start singing Sarazamai and then suddenly they leap in with him and they're all in their school clothes conveniently enough. and. Uh, and when he when he emerges, everything is hunky dory. Yeah, it, it's he's, it's like he's smiling for real. Finally forgiven. Finally free. Miracles happen. The dead return. It's very. It was very unclear to me because I felt like it was a microcosm of what we had just gone through in in the previous in the first part of the episode. Yeah. Right. Like. It's the same exact thing, just in a microcosm of it, where Toy is severing all connections. He he dives down into his own mind. And the other boys dive down in to save him, and then it's reprised um, here. But and this time, as you point out, in what may be the real world and the real stakes, and without any otters or kappas. Kappa day. <laughs> um. Uh, <laughs> I have to go back for a moment and say that once I saw Kepi's um, unitary form after merging with Dark Kepi. Oh, I want to hear this. I honestly did not know what I was looking at and was very confused for a little while uh, as to why they were introducing a character so late at the game. (laughs) Uh, It seemed like some sort of weird... My Little Pony Mutation. Um, and I really couldn't understand what was going on. And Rayo and Mabu returned uh, as part of this. Yeah. So, um, I was, Sarah was, I was not expecting too. Yep. I was not expecting them to look. They looked human, except once again, for some reason, and I'm desperate for someone to explain to me why Rayo's teeth are serrated compared to any normal humans like what is going on i don't know there are types of like japanese characters who have like called snaggle tooth or something but i he definitely has fangs i don't know i guess it's just to differentiate him a little make him a little bit more vicious looking i i i feel like there's got to be a backstory there there might be and mabu are very uh they seem very stylized they seem like there's a particular trope that they're meant to represent and i just don't get it and i don't know what it is so that that really is the question of the series to me is you can interpret it one of two ways i think you can say well you can interpret it many ways if you don't think he committed suicide but even if he didn't commit suicide he definitely jumped off the bridge and he chooses to live in his fantasy world on some plane right like i don't know whether that's just him having like deciding that he's not going to be in reality 
and that he's just going to be a crazy person or he's just going to try to like live his fantasy world and not worry about what his real life is because he has no real life. But, um, or... Oh, you want me to say it? Did everything we saw happen? Did everything we saw happen and that was just a glitch and what we're meant to take away from this is that the friends managed to save each other. There is another possibility... Uh, which is that he jumps in the water and it was his fantasy that his friends would jump in and save him. That was what we saw in the beginning of the episode. Yeah. And that in fact, when he jumps into the water, he dies and this, this is him ascending to heaven or whatever the afterlife is, is in his mind. What happens when he jumps in the water is his friends dressed in school clothes as they would have been three years ago. Uh, jump in with him to save him and say of course we're here for you our connections are exist and they do exist they are real and that's you know that's sort of so eventually he he convinces his own mind and dies in the process and in reality there's a dead body floating down the water which i find to be a very challenging interpretation given the the sort of happiness of the show like there's no indication that 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 my interpretation might in fact be what happened Aside from you, know, you planted the seed, like, well, this all could have just been happening in his mind in the first it place. It could have been. And yet, I I don't want to limit people's, interp- I don't want to limit people's emotional connection to everything that they saw. Um, because Kazuki is, is a real character, and Enta's a real character, and Haruka's a real character, and Otane's a real character, and Mabu and Reo were real characters with a real emotionally connecting story, and even if it's metaphor, even if it's allegorical, it, I think it's a successful series in connecting those pieces. It, it actually, like, I know I've heard Ikuhara's name since sort of learning more about him in connection with sort of like David Lynch. And I think in the sense that um, what I've discovered about David Lynch over the years, which is not what people assume, is that everything that he does, some of it seemingly accidental at least has when he commits to it, he has intention. He knows that this equals this, but he's not going to tell you. You're just going to have to live 30 years like I did. And then find out what twin peaks is from a video that some guy put together like much later. And when you, when you see it, you cannot unsee it. So I will not commit to one interpretation of this story, but I do think that this, this particular story owes a lot to sort of Lars von Trier's musical dancer in the dark about a blind woman who gets abused and robbed and then kills the person in self-defense. And she was trying to get the money to give to her blind, to, to give her blind kid a chance because she's going blind and she has these phantasmagoric visions of, of her in musicals. And it's a very depressing story. But the reason I think it, it kind of ties into Sarazamai is because if this is Toei's story and if it's ultimately about the guilt he has and, and creating a fantasy where he's finally forgiven for shooting a guy in cold blood, even though the, the, the situations surrounding the shooting were very... Um, leaning towards self-defense, I would think, although we don't know if that was the actual version of events, but 
if what we saw was presented as is, I would say that was close to self-defense, but he's never forgiven himself for this. Um, in that sense, uh, it does sort of make me feel that maybe it's a little bit of an indictment of of the society that created it. And it's a little bit of an, the indictment of Japanese prison system, which is so harsh that it, it gives him absolutely nothing to go to once he's free. As life is over, he says. I mean, I, I can't imagine that Japanese uh, prisons are worse than what we have here in the U.S. Um, well, they're very inhuman. They're very dehumanizing, um, which, I mean, they're about rehabilitation and, and putting you back out there. But, you know, they, they're not a very forgiving. I guess your point is simply about prison in general. and Right. Well, Dancer in the Dark is ultimately about the death penalty. And it doesn't tell you that. It 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 just happens at the end, and it's horrifying. Um, spoiler alert for Dancer in the Dark, a movie that came out like 20 years ago. Oh, you're being generous. <laughs> I know, right? Um, that stars Bjork, by the way, and she's fabulous in it, but she will never work with Lars von Trier again because he was very abusive to I her. I will point out, actually, you're not uh, being generous. It is exactly 20 years ago. Oh, it is exactly 20 years ago. Wow. Seriously, dude, that movie is great. It's it's very difficult to watch <laughs> because it's very depressing. Uh, Sarazanmai was not depressing. Um, no. But it if wasn't. it ends with his suicide, it end, it asks a lot of questions that I, I'm not sure I can answer by myself. So I wanted to ask you a couple of them. If it's if it's about Toei sort of like working through his his deal, is it Toei? who ultimately had a crush on Kazuki? Well, I remember I brought that up about halfway through in one of our podcasts and you you latched onto it at the time. Um, well, I was thinking about it because I'd finished the series before you and I, I, I had in the back of my mind some idea that maybe what we were seeing wasn't entirely on the up and up, that uh, it was very symbolic and that maybe the characters we were seeing were all sort of like, they were versions of Toei, but through they were versions of Toei, but wearing the disguise of his friends and sort of an amalgamation of memories and himself, which would bring us to David Lynch and Mulholland Drive. But because that's a story about a woman having sort of a and this is this is largely an accepted interpretation, I think, at this point. So I'm not really saying anything people wouldn't assume watching it but it's largely a story a sort of masturbatory fantasy about this woman who went to hollywood completely failed to make a dent uh has bills owed living in a lonely empty existence with no hope who just offs herself and in the last moments as she's sort of like um masturbating herself into the moment where she pulls the trigger she uh she envisions her whole fantasy life that leads to and and her her fantasy is often infected by this creeping reality so i don't know if you see any of sarazamai that way but i'm curious about your thoughts i think i've said a lot about how i see things but starting with do you think Toei might have been gay 
and might have had a thing for Kazuki and might have projected some of his own desires onto the Enta character. So if we're going to go way down the rabbit hole, that could be the case. But it then um, it it requires a complete revision of the understanding of the entire show, because it would imply that Enta may or may not even exist uh, and that you're really dealing with with Toei as a a split character who cares for Kazuki. Um, or that's one possible way to think about it. Given that the nature of the show is supposed to be about... <laughs> connecting, um, yeah. Yeah, connecting and <laughs> reconciling and not being able to hide those those shameful secrets, I don't think that's the right interpretation. So... Um, the fact that, and let's be, let's be fair. I think, um, well, I don't know, because we did have that weird scene where you've got Kazuki and Toy in the amusement park, the lover's amusement park. Um, but aside from that, um, I feel like there, Toy already had a lot of things going on in his life and therefore he wasn't very focused on romantic love at this particular point in his existence. I think just any sort of connection, you know, the, the, the platonic friend connection, platonic love connection was what he needed. He needed to feel wanted and, and like a need for other people who didn't, uh, who weren't demanding anything other. So here's another possibility then toys version of reality known as Sarazanmai, his sort of lots of plates his constructed reality that he that he populates with versions of people from his memories is specifically is a specifically a fantasy about how important he was and the ways in which he has earned forgiveness or something right like the ways that he has earned the right to still exist i suppose um but then like that means that it's about the fact that kazuki was lost ento was lost here comes toei he's an integral part of this three-person triad um I guess that's the wrong word for them, but you know, he's part of this three person group that uh, saves the world multiple times over. I, I don't, um, I don't know because I, uh, there are yeah. episodes where toy is, you know, taking a back seat. Like this is the story of three boys. It's just here at the end, you know, the stakes are much higher for toy and there's a lot more going on. I, and I feel like this, the, I honestly feel like the show didn't have enough time to tell the story it really wanted to tell about these three boys. Like, it's weird to have Toy go to prison for three years, and then we have no, and like, he's in prison, and just have no sort of update on Kazuki and Enta in three years like what happened to them like they were the golden duo were they playing soccer like what's going on we're now 17 years old like that's a very very different time from when you're 14 
And that's why, honestly, like we end on Toei, but I had assumed for many episodes that Kazuki was the central character. And at the end, I'm much less sure because Kazuki seems, but this is why I thought that the whole thing with um, Haruka was confusing because that central tension of Haruka's lost legs um, seems to be unresolved. So sometimes I wonder if you, if you watch something, can you separate the fact that it's a TV show from the story it's telling? And at this point, there are times when I wonder if Sarazan Mai knows it's a TV show. Like the last scene is the Kappa all riding away on the train to the future, or not the train, the, the boat to the future, right? But really, it, that boat is carrying them out of our story. Even the Sopranos did this in a way. Like the the cut to black at the end of the Sopranos is often seen as like maybe he was shot, maybe like that. They they had this whole scene where they describe how getting shot would just be like turning off the lights or something like that. But like I was thinking about it when I watched it, my very first reaction was that someone pulled the plug. And that's what it felt like. Like somebody cut the cord and pulled the plug and we have no longer have access to this guy. And that was like a very like off-putting, but like sort of, I thought it was clever moment where like, I'm totally spoiling The Sopranos now. And it's like a beloved series, but. Again, you know, it's, it's we have referenced lots of things. Uh, you spoiled Dancer in the Dark. Um but we all these cultural touch points i think are and they will be lost on a younger audience but i think it's okay you're trying to evoke you know what is what is the creator trying what is um what is what are they trying to evoke what are they trying to cause us to feel and think what is ikuhara's motive if it's a if 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 this is a suicide wish if this is if this this desire that we've been seeing, this otter, this this force is like Toei talking himself into killing himself, right? If that's what we're seeing, then then we have to ask sort of like, what what is he trying to tell himself there? And if it's not about that, then what does the fantasy at the end really mean? I mean, if it is, if it is, as you suggest, a fever dream of um, of toys that fever dream ends with a reconciliation a return to reality a return to connections and the the baggage and the burdens and the shame and the fear that kept kept him out of those things has been defeated otter has been beat back um and then he goes out and he jumps in the water and they jump in after him so either that is the the actuality of his demons being beat back, or it is, as we pointed out, a possibly incredibly depressing uh, interpretation, <laughs> where in fact he commits suicide, and this is his his mind fulfilling the the promise of the fantasy, where his friends jump in and save him, and that's not what actually happens. And the sailing off is the sailing to you know um, the afterlife. But without, you know, it's all in his head as opposed to reality. Right. I can't commit. I can't commit to one. Because there's holes. There's holes that I haven't filled in. Yeah. 
I hope the audience, when they hear this, isn't like, you're talking crazy. It's obviously this way. Um, I hope you're open-minded. I desperately want to hear from some of our audience in that vein. Like, I mean, it's, I I would love to be called crazy and to um, be disproven wrong, but I, I feel like this is a fairly, um, a fairly strong interpretation, but it does raise the question about the stories of these other boys. Like the, the most likely explanation, if you go and jump off a river after having been released from prison after seven years, um, is that your your teenage friends at the time will not be there waiting to jump in after you. They won't have been able to follow or track your progress with such, you know, minutiae that they would be able to do that. Don, always a pleasure. Well, the good news is that this is not the last Sarazama podcast that we're doing. We are going to do a sort of deeper dive with... Someone who is known among the fan community, but she is a very good friend of mine. Her name is Victoria Goldenberg, and she will be joining us on the next episode, hopefully. Fingers crossed that everything goes well. But she will be joining us and talking about uh, the stage play, um, wow. the manga, uh, the radio <laughs> dramas, the things that, the, the like short things, uh, short uh, pieces that came out about. Mabu and Rayo before the show even began. Um, and the director himself, Ikuhari Kunihiko, and the, the, the other directors and, and uh, character designers and all of it. She has like an encyclopedic knowledge of everything Ikuhara and everything Sarazama. She's a huge fan. She collects a lot of really cool stuff from Japan. So uh, she should have a lot to say. And we're going to talk with her on the next episode. So join us then. That sounds very cool. Woohoo! And until then, uh, I am Sabrina Ray. I'm Don Munson. And we are Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. Well, you are the friends. We are the anime. Well, no, that's not true either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please let that make the final cut. We, we are, are the anime. Yes. <laughs> we are part of the Orange Groves Podcast Network. You can support us uh, through patreon.com slash the orange groves that will go towards helping us pay for uh, hosting. They um, covered the cost of our kick ass art that we use for the podcast done by a really talented designer named rain. Uh, they are also known as small, small witch. So that should definitely look them up. Um, in addition to that, you can also support us through coffee ko-fi.com slash okashina podcast spelled as you think and that is going to go towards getting us subscriptions getting us um uh, blu-rays and dvds and and supplemental materials that we can use to better know the shows that we present to you guys Uh, and come to our twitter it's lively i always have some weird promo (laughs) up And uh, that's where you're going to get all the latest information. It's it's the same. It's Okashina Podcast. O-K-A-S-H-I-N-A Podcast. So we'll see you there and we'll see you next time. Love you guys. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>